Well, good morning, Burlington Church. I'm glad to see you here. I hope you had a good week. Joyce and I had a wonderful week at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, at uh, our trustees meeting, and then we had homecoming, and we got to see a lot of old friends and make new friends, and the crocuses were blooming, and the daffodils were blooming, and the forsythia was blooming, and then we came north. And if you are guests today, we are glad that you're here, and I personally welcome you. And if you would have time, come down to the front. I would like to meet you and get acquainted for you. Go by, I never can remember, what's the booth out there called? The starting point. I always want to call it the, something else. The starting point. If you go out to the starting point, and they have a gift for you, and it's worth picking up. I think it's about $150 for, for Kroger, so... Uh, so go pick it, go, go pick it up. It, it will be worth your while. But we're glad you're here uh, if you are our guest. Last week we started a series of sermons called Will You Come to My Party? And uh, that, no, 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 let me back up. We started a series of sermons called Me and My Two Sons. And it is about the greatest story that was ever told in Luke the 15th chapter. Last week, we talked about, will you come to my party? And we learned that every story, all three of those stories, start with something that was lost. It was a lost sheep, it was a lost coin, and a lost son. Two lost sons, for that matter. And every one of those stories moved toward a recovery of what was lost the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost boys. And every story ended with a party. Rejoice with me for I have found. Rejoice with me for I have found. Rejoice. We must celebrate my son has come home. And we learn that the gospel without joy has lost its message. And then we learn that we, one of these days, are going to the party of all parties, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus will be our host. Amen? Now today, I want to introduce you to the two boys. And I want you to see them, maybe in a way that you have never seen them before. I hope you will see that they have more in common than you possibly think. Let me read the text, and then let me pray, and we will get into it. Turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. I am using the Christian Standard Bible. It is the one that was printed by Lifeway. It is a very good translation. If you use the NIV, I would encourage you to switch. Uh, And because this is a good, this, this is a good trans, this is a good translation. Let us pick it up with verse eleven. A man had two sons, and the younger one said, and the younger of them said to his father, "Father, hang on just a minute." You should tell the Baptists that they should have printed this on thicker paper. (laughs) He said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate 
I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to the distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Now go down to verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now go down to verse 21. The son said to him, his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this my son was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and he came near the house and he heard the music and the dancing. Verse 28. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 31, son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we see you in this parable as a loving, caring Father who loves us even when we become rebels and wander off into the far country. And you even love us when we're lost at home. And you even love us when we're like the older son who lacks forgiveness, who lacks grace, who's so caught up in legalism and self-righteousness And you love us even still. Help us today to see ourselves in these two boys and learn how we can have a better relationship with you. And help us to see, Father, as you treat these two boys and how much you love them is how much you love us. Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear. We pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Tiffany DeVito was making a plane trip with her two daughters and they were not happy. They were not happy with their mother. They were not happy with each other. They were not happy to be on that plane. And they were letting everybody know how unhappy they were. And we all have been on planes with fussy children. I was flying from Vienna, where I teach in Austria, back to New York. And in 
our compartment came a family with four small children. I actually prayed, Lord, <laughs> Lord, please send them to the other compartment. They made their seats right beside of me and right in front of me. And then that family ignored those children for eight hours. They liked to have drove us crazy. I almost lost my sanctification. <laughs> there was a young Jewish boy sitting beside of me. And he said to me as we were landing. He had never spoken to me during the whole trip. He said to me as we were landing. Mr. I've learned one thing from this trip. I said, what would that be? He said, I'm never having kids. <laughs> so we all know how it is to have fussy kids on a flight. Well, at the start of the flight, the flight attendant <clears throat> was explaining the emergency procedures, and the girls were making a lot of noise and making a lot of racket and fussing, and you could tell that the flight attendant was disturbed. When he got to the part of explaining how to put the oxygen mask on, he paused and he looked directly at Tiffany and said, if you have more than one child, choose the one you like the best first and put the mask on. The greatest story ever told asked the question, which son did the father like the best? You read this story of the prodigal son, and immediately you don't like this younger boy. And when you come to the end of the story, you think, well, maybe he's not so bad after all. And when you read it, you read about the older boy, and you think, well, this boy is a good kid. And you get to the end of it, and you think, well, he's not that good after all. Now, as a parent, you wonder, which one of these boys would you rather have as a son? Would you rather have an immoral son, but who was humble and sweet and, 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 and repentant? Or would you rather have a moral son who was judgmental, legalistic, critical, angry, resentful, bitter, Jealousy. You say, well, I don't like that boy already. But which one was good? Which one was bad? Or were they both bad? Now, if you think that you know which one the father loved the best, you have not heard the story through the father's eyes. And let's begin with that. And let's start with something that most of us assume, but it was revolutionary in that day. Jesus intentionally made God the Father. Well, you say, what's so revolutionary about that? We know about God the Father. We know about God the Son. We know about God the Holy Spirit. They did not know that then. They did not know that then. So when Jesus makes God the Father, man, it blows the Pharisees' mind. Now, God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament, and most of those are re references to him being the Father of Israel, the Father of the Israeli nation, the, the founder of Israel's nation. But in the New Testament, God is referred as Father 250 times. 
So who changed the view of God? Jesus. In Sunday school, <laughs> the story in Sunday school that day, the lesson was about one of those awful, bloodthirsty, savage stories in the Old Testament. And one little girl said, well, that happened before God became a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) No, honey, Jesus came to show us God was always like Jesus. Now, here's a problem. Jesus is looking for a way to talk about God that transcends all cultures. That's going to transcend all cultures for all the time. So what human word could he use to adequately describe God to all generations who would know and understand? What word could he use? So the best word that he could use to describe God was Father. Now, Father was just the right word to communicate why he was hanging out with all those scumbag sinners that the Pharisees were frowned on. And it was just the right word to describe the universal pain that comes when a father loses his children or when his father and his children are rebels. Now, most of us who are parents... (coughs) We love our kids so much that it hurts, right? Tim Keller in his little book about the prodigal son said something I had not thought about before. He said, a parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. Think about that. Isn't that true? A parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. And nobody is prepared for the joy of of parenting. Nobody. And nobody is prepared for the pain of parenting either. And if you are the father of a child who is lost, you have one agenda, don't you? So the only way that Jesus is trying to explain why he spent so much time with these sinners, he was trying to teach the Pharisees that The father's heart is going to stay broken until all his children are back at the table. So he tells the greatest story ever told. Now, it's not about a father and a lost son. That's what we've always assumed. It's not about a father and a lost son. It's about a father and two sons. The story starts, this, there was a man who had two sons sons. Dear sweet Fred Craddock in his commentary says, that father not only had two sons, but he loved two sons. He went out to two sons, and he was generous with two sons. This father had two lost sons, and these boys have far more in common than you think. So let me introduce you to the boys. Let's start with this. Both resented their father's authority. That's right. Both of them resented their father's authority. I read recently something that really blew my mind. I read about the three most popular funeral songs in England. 
the number third, the number third most popular funeral to sing at a funeral in England was ACDC's Highway to Hell. Now that'd be comforting, wouldn't it? That'd really comfort a family. The number two most popular song in England for funerals was Queen's song, Another One Bites the Dust. That, that, that would be comforting. But the number one popular song for funerals in England really surprised me. My Way. My Way. Sung by Frank, Frank Sinatra, sung it for my dad's generation. And Elvis sang it for my generation. Through it all, I stood tall, and I did it my way. That is the humanist anthem. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. I did it my way. And we have been singing it ever since the Garden of Eden. When our first father, Adam, passed on his rebellious bent to the rest of his children. And you're going to see it in this story. Now, it's easy to see the rebel attitude in the younger son, right? That's easy to see. He says, Dad, give me what's coming to me when you die because I want it. You're not going to die soon enough. I want it, and I'm out of here. Now, the younger son isn't just getting away from the farm. He's getting away from the father. He didn't accidentally stumble into the far country. He went there on purpose. Why? Because he was looking for a place where his dad had no influence and he could do whatever he wanted when he did it and his dad would not be around uh, to, to correct him. Henry Nowen in his good book called The Return of the Prodigal. And if you want a good book to read on the prodigal son, this, this is good. Listen to this quote. The son is leaving. A drastic cutting loose from the way of living, thinking, and acting that had been handed down to him from generation to generation as a sacred legacy. More than respect, more than disrespect, It's a betrayal of the treasured values of family and community. Listen to this. The distant country is the world in which everything considered holy at home is disregarded. Ooh, isn't that good? Isn't that good? I wish I could write like that. That's why the dad had to let him go. Because the boy had already left home in his heart. But you see, you need to know that the rebel spirit also ran deeper in that older boy, only it was a little more discreet. Now, scholars said when I studied this, scholars said that in that culture, for that boy to refuse to come into the party that his dad was giving for his brother who had returned home, for his refusal to come into the party was just as much a disgrace as anything that the younger brother had done to his daddy. That older brother was saying to all the people in the community, all the people at that party, he was saying to them, I cast a no vote in confidence in my father's judgment. My father has lost all control of this family. My father is letting this boy back in and, 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 and 
the grace that he's extending to this boy is absolutely insults me. And I am casting a no vote to my father. And the father comes out. And that boy says to him, how dare you make a decision like this without consulting me first? Well, who does he think he is? He showed his temper by refusing to come to the party. And he had no more respect for the father than the younger son. Both of them were trying to get out from under their father's authority in different ways. Both sons resented their father's authority. Now, you know why? Because both of them loved their father's things more than they loved the father. Both of these boys loved their father's stuff more than they loved their father. And acquiring their father's stuff was their goal. Both of them really wanted to throw a party and invite all their friends. And I guarantee you their dad would not have been on their invitation list. Neither of these sons thought that my father's happiness is my number one goal. Neither one of them. Now, you you see the younger son believed a lie that his father's things would make him happy. I'm going to take my father's things, convert them into money, and I'm going to take my inheritance, and I'm going to leave this place. And I'm going to a place where I can buy it, where I can drink it, where I can smoke it, where I can shoot it, where I can bet it, and my father will not be there to stop me because these things that I got from my father's inheritance are going to make me happy. And I'll be much happier with them than I will be in my father's company. See, the belief that things make you happy motivated the younger son's disobedience. Now hang in here with me. Because here is something that we overlook in the story. The belief that things make you happy is the same thing that motivated the older boy's obedience. Are you with me? The same thing that motivated the older boy's disobedience. I want my father's stuff. And, and then the obedience of the older boy, he was obeying his father just for his stuff. See, disobedience motivated one and obedience motivated the other. The older boy served the father for what he hoped he could get out of him. He wanted his father's things just like the old younger son, more than he wanted his father. And I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of us serve God for the same reason. Now, just be honest with it. Be honest. Oh, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And we want our Father's stuff. We want what the Father can give us rather than the Father. I have seen people down through the years use goodness as a weapon against God. As a weapon of thinking they can gain control of God. 
I've kept the rules. I went to church. I did Bible studies. I volunteered. I tithed. I even worked with middle school boys. I'm convinced that people who work with middle school boys are going to sit on the thrones with the prophets and the apostles. We had a lady at First Church who thought who taught middle school boys for years, and she said they were pre-human. And they don't take baths, and they don't use children, you know. <laughs> but I deserve a better life than this. I've actually had people sit in my study and say to me, God owes me, LD. I've done all of this. I deserve better than this. I deserve an answer to my prayers. I deserve a ticket to heaven because God owes me. Neither son thought a relationship with the dad was enough. Both of them wanted their father's things more than they wanted their father. And sad to say, but too often that is the attitude. We want God's stuff more than we want the Father. Why do you think that the prosperity gospel is so popular in the United States and even around the world? Would you believe how popular the prosperity gospel is on the continent of Africa? It blows my mind. The largest churches in this country are prosperity churches. If you just give, then you will get back. You give, and you can live in an $11 million mansion, like I do. The prosperity gospel is so popular because people want God's stuff more than they want God. So both boys misunderstood the kind of relationship their father wanted. All right, let's do a little review. Both sons, both of them, resented the father's authority. Both of them, in different ways, loved their father's things more than they loved the father. Number three, and both of them tried to earn their father's love. Both of them. This younger boy comes home. And he humbly says to his father, make me like one of your hired servants. And and father, I'll try to earn my way back to your good graces. I'll try to earn my way back to your table. I'll work with the hired hands. I'll sleep in the bunkhouse with the hired hands. And I will do whatever it takes to earn my way back into your good graces and to the family table. And the father would have none of it. He said, son, you didn't earn your way to my table in the first place. And there's nothing that you can do now to earn your way back to the table. And let me tell you, son, there is nothing that you have done that will keep you away from my table. But the younger son wasn't the only one trying to pay off his debt. Did you hear 
what the older boy said to the father when he went out to persuade him to come to the party? Hmm? Did you hear it? He gritted, he gritted his teeth, and to his anger he said, All these years I have been slaving for you. Give me a break. It wasn't, it wasn't love. It was not the older boy's love and devotion to his father that kept him on the farm. It was not that at all. It was duty. It was duty. That older boy saw himself as a hired hand. And how do you think that attitude made the father feel? How do you think that made the dad feel? You owe me. I do all of these things that you want. And you owe me. Because I've been slaving for you. How do you make made that dad feel? Does any father want his child to see him primarily as a taskmaster? And just as the sins sent the younger son into the distant country, so this older boy's works, his legalism, his self-righteousness did not earn him any status in the family either. He was already a son. See, that older boy was trying to earn what was already his. I've slaved for you all these years, and I've never had a party. (laughs) And dear old Fred Craddock said in his commentary, he said, the boy just never learned to dance. (laughs) The boy just never learned to dance. His father said, well, why not a party? Everything I have is yours. I come to the conclusion in my studies that this older brother never asked for a party because he did not see himself as a beloved son, nor did he see him, his father, as his friend. Both of those boys broke their father's heart. The father had two sons. And both of the boys went about putting distance between themselves and their father's in different ways. Both of those boys helped their father at arm's length. And in their own way, both of those boys were dead to their father and to the life that he wanted them to have. And that's the risk parents take, isn't it? The book of Proverbs in chapter 17 says, it is painful to be the parent of a fool. There is no joy in being the parent of a rebel. And for some of you, this is no longer a sermon. It's very personal. It's your story. You've had or you have a rebel child. Oh, we like to quote, raise a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll never depart from it. We totally misunderstand that text. That's a nice principle, but that is not how it always works. There is no joy for the father of a rebel. There is always pain there. And for those of you who have had a rebel child or have a rebel child or had a rebel child, you know how God feels about us. See, Jesus was rebuking that crowd in front of him. 
He was rebuking those scribes and Pharisees who were so caught up in keeping the rules. Do this, do this, don't do this. In order to please God, you got to do all this to please God. He was rebuking them because they didn't care about a lost son. They didn't care about a lost child. And I am afraid sometimes we in the church are the same way. We're so interested in the do's and the don'ts that we forget about the lost child. See, God's heart is breaking for his lost children. And if you're afraid of pain, don't get married and don't have any children. There is no such thing as risk-free love. When God made this world and put his children in it, he knew the risk that he was taking. That we would break his heart. And we did. We broke his heart. See, that's the reason why there had to be a cross. And that's the reason the father went after both of his sons. Right, you can rest now. You've been listening. You're very intent. Been been really good. So, let's do a little review. Gives you a little time to rest and catch your breath before we move to the next one. Look at the screen. Both of these boys resented their father's authority. Both loved their father's things more than they loved the father. And both of them in their own way, tried to earn their father's love. But there's another thing these boys have in common. They couldn't keep the father from loving them. Neither boy could keep the father from loving them. Rick actually is one of our preachers in Texas. He is the pastor of the largest a cappella church of Christ in the United States, and he has a friend named Mike Colt and his wife Diane. They had three children, two boys, but in the middle there was a girl named Megan. Megan had a lot of problems. She was a difficult child as long as she was alive. Mike was out in the backyard playing catch with boys, and he noticed Megan was up on the patio, up on the deck, with her, her little face down in the dog's bowl eating the dog food. He ran to her, picked her up. Her face is covered with dog food. She smells like dog food breath. And when he picks her up, she puts her hands on his cheek and wants to kiss him. Now, who on earth would kiss a face like that? Only a daddy. And he did. Do you know what my definition of a father is? <laughs> you dads will like this. You'll relate to this. My definition of a father is a man who carries photographs where his money used to be. <laughs> Amen? It doesn't get any better. Both sons lived saying, I want this. And the father was saying, I want you. In Genesis 3 is the story. Uh, it really sums up the Bible with one question. 
Jesus comes, Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes. And God says, where are you? Where are you? And God came in the person of Jesus Christ to take us back home to the Father. Because God wants a relationship with us. Now the bigger question for us this morning is, what kind of relationship do we want with God? Huh? What kind of relationship do you want with God? When Jesus went away, he left us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gave us the Holy Spirit for a couple of reasons. One, so that we could serve the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. We could serve the body. We could serve one another. But he also gave us the Holy Spirit more to change our character so that we could grow into the character of Christ. But I think maybe the greatest reason we have the Holy Spirit is to fight off Satan's lie that God is a taskmaster and our job is to keep God from being mad at us. God is a father. Look what Paul says in Galatians. Now because we are his, what's the word? Children. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts from prompting us to call out Abba. You know what Abba means in in Aramaic? Daddy. Can you imagine calling God Daddy? Can you imagine? Jesus called God Daddy, blew their minds. Can you imagine us calling Daddy Daddy? You ever call God Daddy? Hmm? Called out Daddy, Father. That's what he's saying. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own children. And since you are his children, God has made you his heir. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own children. The famous Booker T. Washington tells the story of growing up in slavery. He and his family lived in a slave hut. It was made out of sod. They lived on a plantation every morning. Before daylight, a rooster would crow, and that was their call to get up and get ready to spend another back-breaking day laboring in the fields. And that rooster was a symbol of their slavery. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Slaves were free. Finally, the news got to the plantation where Booker T. Washington's family were slaves. Booker T. Washington went to bed that night. He woke up the next morning to the rooster, the rooster crowing, but he heard a racket. He heard a noise. He wondered what was going on. He looked out, and his mama was chasing that rooster with an axe. <laughs> and that night... they had chicken and dumplings (laughs) as a reminder that they were no longer slaves. 
And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. To remind us every morning when we put our feet on the ground, I'm God's child. I'm not a slave to the old life anymore. I am God's child. Folks, you're not a slave. You can't earn your way to God's table. There's nothing that you did to get there. There is nothing that you can do to keep you from it. You are God's child. Say it with me out loud. I'm God's child. What's wrong? Say it out loud with me. I am God's child. Now say it like you mean it. I am God's child. Say it so First Church can hear you. I am God's child. Amen? Let's pray. Father, how secure it makes us feel to call you Father. Thank you that you're a God of second chances. And we praise you that there is nothing that we can do to stop you from loving us. And even when we wander away and get lost, and even when we're lost at home, even when we're lost in the pew, you're always seeking us. And when you find us, you rejoice because your child is Thank you that you are a God that constantly seeks his lost children. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, if you've never accepted Jesus today, I'm going to say it very plainly. According to the Bible, according to what Jesus says in this story, you're lost. You're lost because you've never come home to Jesus. Oh, you say, I'm not in a far country. You can be as lost in the far country. You can be lost in the pew. So if you've never accepted Jesus, you're lost. Now, a lot of churches wouldn't tell you that. But that's what this story is all about. So you can come home today to the Father. And when you come home, He's not going to shake His finger in your face. He's going to open His arms and love you and forgive you and welcome you home. Forgive your sins and give you a place at the table forever.